Here we are, live from the Trash Future Studio. You're listening to Riley and Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, all right, all right. I want to start with barber complaints. Hmm. Barber complaints? Yeah. Well, you have no playing bar- up? I have no barber complaints at all. You know, I think Hussein's barber complaint is interesting. You just want to start with, like, the barber zone. Yeah. Yeah. Hussein went to one of those Turkish barbers who make it look like they're going to give you the haircut and then they don't. <laughs> well, no, like, my experience was really nice in the sense of, like, I got free hot towels. Uh, nice little Turkish coffee to go with it. Great. Like the guy's usually quite good. Don't call it a Greek coffee; they'll throw yeah, you don't. right they out. They will. They will throw you right out. Um, <laughs> I think you mean a Turkish haircut. <laughs> but it's kind of—I don't know. I've been finding it very difficult to go to any barbers uh, that I sort of pay like I think between twenty-five to forty pounds for a haircut and a beard shave, right? Uh-huh. And I'm just like, look, I don't want anything too fancy. I'm like an old guy now. I just sort of want the haircut I have, but shorter, mm, no, right? But they just, they insist on no matter what you say, <laughs> no matter what. I keep getting fades. That's yeah, right. I know. It's, it's, you're, it's, in a, you're in a prison of yeah. fades. <laughs> He's in the faded family. Uh, yeah, that's right. He's um, drinking and puking. But I do actually have this feeling. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like the, the only thing that lots of barbers know how to do at this point is fades. So when I asked him, like, do not give me a You'd fade. be a return guy for any no, other this, haircut. This, is, like, true, this is what they took from this you. This is true. The barber on my street, literally, it only does fades, only has fades in the window, but somehow in the course of about six months changed from Turkish barber to Chechen barber back to <laughs> Turkish barber without any of the other signage or the people inside changing. That's right. We rebranded to Chechen barber. We were trying to get the ginger crew in. <laughs> Can I say something else? Because like, whenever I've gone to barbers, you know, they have like a little... I, I don't like describing... I, I cannot describe the type of haircut I want to a barber. I've never been able to do it. Um, I feel like it's just really weird to do it. Uh, but So usually it's sort of you find a picture, right? And I was looking at like some of the... Kind You're of doing Ramzan Kadyrov. Yeah, exactly. I would like <laughs> to look at Ramzan Kadyrov. I mean, um, say what you will about him. He has a fantastic hairline. Yeah, no fade. Um, but you go through like their lookbooks, and their lookbooks are all like these kind of really strange '90s haircuts, right? They all have like there are like lots of ones in the barber I went to where it was like guys with frosted tips, and like you know, uh, and obviously like you know I'm not going to go for the frosted tips. Just, it's yeah. just like all four guys like... from Blur, and you have to pick one. <laughs> but I but I was thinking to myself, what if I just showed this this guy, but he would still just do a fade anyway? Yeah. Like what if course. I asked for faded tips, and he was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just heard um, the first syllable. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fade, say no more. <laughs> I know how to do that. Yeah, I understand that you wanted a normal haircut, but I've given you a 0.5 around the sides, uh, and there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. So I think that we can say that this is uh, yet another symptom of uh, capitalism flattening everything. Or in this case, capitalism giving everything a 0.5 around the sides. Hello, everybody. It is TF. It is Riley, Milo Hussein, and Alice. It's the free one. And before we get into all of the the shucking and the jiving, uh, the the yuck-em-ups and and so on, uh, I wanted to do some announcements right off the bat. There are shirts. Oh, do you are. have a chest? Would you like to cover it? Mm, that's right. Legally, you, you may have Big naturals, to. small naturals, or no naturals at all, or even unnaturals. Mm. It doesn't matter to us. You can put a shirt <laughs> over them. Put a shirt on your eldritch tits if you want. You know? For God's sake, cover them <laughs> up, man. <laughs> it's, it's nothing sacred. Yeah. Um, so, we're there doing, are three shirts, I believe. 
no, there are two. I'm, we, I'm, I'm sorry, there are only two. There is one less than you thought, but there are three options. Because we have we've got we have a new shirt designed by Australian artist Phoebe Paradise. Uh, it's called "What If Your Telephone Was Portable," and it's like a kind of Tomorrow's World type thing about what what about the the phone? Uh-huh. You know, it's a fun little little thing that we've done. As though what if Trash Future was around in the eighties? You mm. know, it's a fun shirt. I think you'll enjoy it. The artwork is very good, um, and also we have reissued the Larder shirt, which you all know and love. The uh, what if the Soviet Union was shit and expensive, flying larder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that was so popular that we decided to reissue it. Both these shirts are available for pre-order, uh, which means that we will let you order them for about a week, and then we will close the orders, and then we will order the shirts, and then the shirts will come. So all of this takes some time. So if you order them, please bear that in mind. Uh, probably a few weeks, and uh, and then we'll probably order a few extra. So there might be some additional sale after that. And we also have special exclusive shirts, which are going to be on sale at our live shows. Only the live shows. So if you are in, uh, if, if you are in other parts of Germany, for example, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, there are others. Leipzig. Then you <laughs> yeah. can come to Berlin Deuce and you can purchase one of the exclusive live show only shirts. Take yeah. advantage of your like slightly better than ours public transit. Come to Berlin. <laughs> Oh yeah, also, so the third option... Uh, don't do that, the, sh- with, the, show, the show is sold out, I the believe. The third option with the two online shirts <laughs> is the usual one, which is that you can buy both shirts together and get a bit of an additional discount on top of you. If you're a patron, you get discounts on the shirts, look on the Patreon, the codes are on there. We've not forgotten you, it's all good. Okay. Um, also, are you in Perth, Australia? Fucking buy a ticket hey, to this my is, show, this is, this is the kind of plug that goes at the end of the show. Ignore him. <laughs> no, don't, no, no. Don't buy a ticket to Milo's show <laughs> in Perth. You dogs in Perth. Until you hear the end of the episode when we will be telling you that. It's, we've, we've, been, we've been messing about for a while. It's time to get into the stuff. So uh, we finally, a little bit of the UK politics first, and we're going to mostly spend time in the world of... Um, People who asked a, people who drew a gun on an etch a sketch and then freaked themselves out. Hmm. Ah, but then they they freaked out so much that they shook and then the gun was gone. They were like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, I hope that doesn't happen again. <laughs> we need to create a global government around this etch a sketch <laughs> that can generate the picture of the gun. That's right. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have to do a little bit of um of UKing it first because uh, I just want to say congratulations uh to the Conservative Party. They finally solved Brexit. It's never going to be around again. Uh, we've agreed a a Northern Ireland protocol. Yeah, we've uh, done in- we've done the Windsor framework. They wheeled Charles out to like shake hands with everyone, and now we're sort of like we've come up with an acceptable fudge, right? Because the sticking point was uh, that unionists didn't want there to be a border in the Irish Sea, and so what we've done is we've put a border in the Irish Sea, but we've painted it green and we put a big tick on it. And we're hoping that that'll convince them. Mm, yeah, then, that sounds good. Big yeah. tick. Can't, what could be bad about a tick? <laughs> just, well, Lyme disease, arguably. But other than that... Remember, it's, it's, it's moments like this when it's fun to remember all of the hand-waving that took place a few years ago. And they were like, oh, the blockchain will, will, it will be no border because blockchain will solve it. Uh, and just all of what it came to was, I guess we have to have a border that we just agree to not enforce. Yeah, or, or like agree to pretend to not enforce. Like the the lane is going to be green. There'll be fewer checks, but not no checks. Um, and so this this sort of like hedge is very funny because essentially it's presented the DUP with like the central question here: Do you want to go back to Stormont? Do you want to like you know play in the sandpit again? 
Or do you want to sort of exile yourself to the land of wind and ghosts and have no sort of like, uh, no interest in power sharing forever? Um, and so the people who would be most hostile to this, which would be the European Research Group uh, in Westminster and the DUP, have both been outplayed by Rishi Sunak to the extent that they've gone, right, we're not saying no, but we're going to get the lawyers in and we're going to take two or three months to really go through this to make sure it says here that we're not owned. And once we've established that it says we're not owned, we're going to sign it. I love the name of the European Research Group. It's like, yeah, we've been researching Europe. We don't like it one bit. The more we look into it, the more we don't fucking like it. Gathering data on various of bastards. What's yeah, funny to me right. about this, right, is the um, is is you can notice immediately that the same kinds of media attack dogs who are now shouting about a betrayal of the ideals of Brexit or whatever, again, like. Yeah, that's true. We were supposed to be one country that had no sort of that no other organization had sovereign claims over like the maximalist version that was been sold for the last five years as the only game in town has not been carried out. And the people who are like, again, the attack dogs who've been loudly yelling about that for five years are continuing to loudly yell about it. And yet, oddly, it seems that. The, every single columnist is no longer lining up to amplify them and amplify their voices via the television. No, curiously, Weird. curiously, ah. the mm. narrative on this one seems to be uh, Rishi Sunak. Isn't he a clever boy? Hasn't he like done mm. well to square this circle? Mainly for my own edification this week, I did a Twitter thread where I tried to encapsulate what every prevailing position on Brexit had been at different times, because you're not allowed to remember what any of the previous positions were. And it's fascinating to like go through the chronology of like when the Leave campaign said, obviously we won't leave the single market, that would be insane. And then Theresa May went, well, obviously Brexit means leaving the single market, despite prior to that having been a Remainer. And then various people had their careers destroyed by trying to envisage what leaving the single market would look like by doing things like, what if we had a blockchain laser grid in the Irish Sea, so on and so forth, which made everyone look insane because they were. And then now you get the point where Rishi Sunak gives a speech in Northern Ireland where he says, don't you see, you're in the best position because you have access to the British market and the single market. How good is that? And it's like, no, you're supposed to believe the single market is bad. Have you forgotten... <laughs> about the lie that we all had to pretend to believe to make this whole project seem not completely deranged. Like they've just they've just started saying the the quiet part loud because they've realised that no one cares anymore. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, it's all made up. No one cares. The public are no longer interested. We're just gonna like stop with the charade that any of this was good or was in anyone's interests. Like it's it, it's maddening. Yeah, the the uh, the contradiction at the heart of the Tory Party has finally been solved for a while. Uh, the <laughs> That's right. For a while. <laughs> What's really funny is that, like, we've managed to, or the, the Conservative Party have managed to successfully contain one opponent of this uh, and one big Brexit booster, Earth's weepiest man, Steve Baker, the Northern Ireland Secretary, <laughs> whose job it has been to sort of like parade this deal around with tears in his eyes, begging people to accept it. Um, and it, it occurs to me, right, that between Steve Baker and Alistair Jack, maybe giving the sort of like um, devolved administration ministries to just whichever asshole you feel like that day, on the basis that like it's like important but not interesting or sexy. Well, you know what it is? It's that they're too important to not give a job to, but yes. too stupid to give an important job to. Yeah, and so now both of those have had turned out to have 
actually quite serious constitutional implications, uh, which which is great for like fans of uh, sort of middle aged men being in over their heads, which we love. In, on this in podcast. many ways, Alistair Jack is the perfect choice because he has two names that are in themselves reasonably serious, but when combined, have a slightly comedic <laughs> quality. <laughs> like an adult man called Alistair Jack, just rotating him in your mind. Mm. No. Now, I want to move off of all of this Brexit nonsense because, quite frankly, it's boring to talk about uh, beyond a few minutes. So I want to move instead to a startup, a startup company. Started up. of these. A company that has been started up. If you live in London, Mm. you will have seen ads for this on the two. Enjoy his own London ambivalence noise a great deal there. If you live in or near London... Mm. You is will it, have seen the. Is it Skull Shaver? <laughs> I am so fascinated by Skull Shaver. Uh, it's not Skull Shaver, I'm afraid. Uh, Andrew Tate's company, Skull Shaver. <laughs> oh, see some pictures of him. He could use the Skull Shaver in Romanian prison. No, it's not what, Skull you've got, Shaver. You've got long hair, that's free. Why don't you buy a Skull Shaver like a rich guy and shave your hair off? Like no, me? it's. It also, if you watch Channel 4, you may have seen ads for it. It is called We Are Eight. That's the digit. Eight. We are eight. What do you think it is, Milo? We are eight. What's their eight of? Uh, legs on a spider? Mm. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it a startup for spiders? They put spiders in your house? You got other insects that need eaten? They like, we'll put a little spider <laughs> yeah, in there? It's a startup for the second stage of that old lady's uh, issue. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, that old lady's issue. Yeah, angina. <laughs> uh, Hussein, we are eight. I'm sorry to say this, but I know what it is, and okay, I know well. what it is because I did a whole episode of my podcast <laughs> on We Are Eight. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, but okay. I can pretend I don't know because I actually forgotten how a lot of it works. So. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> We're gonna skip you and go directly to Alice. We are eight. Um, is this gonna be like some version of one of the like? 50 different weird mask-wearing councils the Venetian state governed itself by. Like, the Council of the Twenty, and you have, like, the the secret Council of the Eight. We're gonna do one of those. Is that it? Yeah. The Council of Twenty Men. I, yeah. I would really enjoy if uh, if we did incorporate... So, again, oh, you, it would be you wanna meaningfully... be on a council of number, like, so badly. Oh, absolutely. And in Venice, if you were, like, of a certain social standing, you were probably not just a member of one, but a few. Hmm. Yeah, multiple councils. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's why you want to be. And mostly all you did was talk about who should be on other councils. Yeah, but they yeah, were all right. incredibly secret, and like everyone was sort of knifing each other constantly. Yeah. Uh, so it is social media for a better world. It is promoted heavily by Rio Ferdinand. And if you just go oh, down, that's a good sign. Go down the tube. Go down the escalator in the tube. You will see Rio Ferdinand's face staring back at you from a We Are Eight. Ad. Rio Ferdinand's weirdly rectangular mouth staring back at you. Is it social media that, like, you know, claims to do some kind of mental health for your mental health? So I'm going to actually turn to Hussein. What does, can you tell the other children, what does We Are Eight claim to do? So honestly, I've sort of forgotten, like, a lot of how it works, but what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to be, like, a social media platform that uh, is, it's supposed to tackle hate online. So it's supposed mm. to be like this platform where like you won't yeah, it's supposed to be like oh, this. So it's kind like of... Cockney acting like we are eight. Oh. You think you you ate? Nah, we fucking <laughs> yeah. ate, mate. And... We're the old bastards who ate back. <laughs> Rio and Ferdinand it... explains Karl Popper's pro- uh, like paradox of tolerance to you. Yeah, mm. so it says that it's a platform that's free of hate and it also sort of like 
is financially uh like it but its kind of tagline is that it also sort of puts money in your wallet and that's okay. sort of where i've forgotten how it works but what i do remember is reading a lot of reviews of this feature and being like i earned nothing from it or worse i earned like a pound fifty after like four months on it, I'm never going back. Because it's if Rio um, Ferdinand works out how racist you are, and if you're like yeah. sufficiently well, not racist, you earn one pound fifty. Well, one one thing to bear in mind about Rio Ferdinand is actually like even though he's sort of like the face of the brand, but he doesn't actually really know how it works either. Uh -huh. Um, and so he's sort of been used as like marketing, and this is also part of Rio Ferdinand's like post football career where he is like tried to kind of be a tech investor. Um, so I think he's invested in like a few, a few tech companies, none of which have gone particularly well. Um, <laughs> but this is the first one he, where he's sort of been like the face of the brand on. So what a lot of people don't know about Karl Popper is that he actually was <laughs> the man with the most dilated arsehole in history. <laughs> so, it's social media for a better world. Join uh -huh. the WeR8 community and together let's add some goodness to the world of social media. It's social media with a purpose. We give you a share of our revenue, as Hussein said, a t very small share. Mm. Um, for any advertising you choose to watch in the app from brands such as yes. Nike, Rexona, yes, yeah. Virgin, and more. Oh, Is it all okay. like woke advertising? Yeah, you can pick oh, your favorite so. woke ads and you yeah. can watch them yeah. and earn, you know, 20p at a time. Great. It's like yeah. a picture of like a cat boy like doing drone strikes for Raytheon, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. it's like right. Raytheon is an equal opportunities employer. That's absolutely correct. Uh, it says... Um, the, the, so you get a little payout, but then they forward a bunch of other money to their uh, charity partners, uh, mm. some of which I looked up and do not have websites, at least at cool. this point. Good sign. Good well, sign. they're not wasting your money on a website. They're yeah. spending all of that money on guns for children, <laughs> which is where I want my money going. The Guns for Tots program. Mm, that's so right. You can, uh, you can, you can uh, be an eight citizen and just be a user of the app. You can be inspired following creators on, this, on the eight stage. Uh, you can share your world, connecting with family and friends, support causes, and be rewarded. Yes, you can make upwards of ten pounds a year. Whoa! <laughs> just by watching. <laughs> when, well, how do I start? <laughs> <laughs> just by watching, uh, like ten minutes of ads every day on your phone. This, this is, is the premise of the of the website Lockers. Do you remember that back in the day? I don't. It was mm. a website where you could like. Yeah, you could like log in and like watch ads and stuff, and then you would get given points, and then you could use those points to like buy shitty stuff. And this was in like we're talking like this is like MySpace era. But the difference is is that this has the same premise, exactly the same premise. Uh huh. However, yeah, it's also going to save the world, and was right. started by an Australian. Oh, oh yeah, fuck yeah, sick. So <laughs> you can you can also be. It was started by an Australian, Lex Greensill. You yeah. can earn rewards like this fucking sick cunt holding Commodore. <laughs> yeah, you can, you you can, can do, do fucking sick burnouts. You can do so. I would love to be a, a creator on We Are 8 who just does hooning videos. Yeah, I, just, awesome. I, I, I just found like my old notes from when we did the We Are 8 episode, and I found that the reason why Rio Ferdinand invested into this was because he wanted to become Manchester United's like executive director. And he lost that position because basically no one liked him and they didn't really find him a particularly affable person. So then his like tech investor sort of persona has basically come because he want he he was basically very mad about not being not getting to be Manchester United's exact director. And this is how we now end up at We Are. He took his revenge on the world by creating a kind of version of Instagram that gives you a pittance while claiming a kind of global mission of yeah. salvation. 
So as an eight creator, you decide where your content goes. Uh, our curated eight stage feed is the window to the world where you can share your best content with the wider eight community. I love being part of an eight, eight community. An eight community. <laughs> His name is Rio and he invests in startup brands. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. You You're ready to be an eight creator. There we uh, go. I could uh, be. Well, here's something insulting. They received uh, 13.5 million euros in Series B funding for their mission to, quote, unite advertisers and people. So, I mean, so, so right. much of this is just nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. It's like preschool shit. It's like, oh, uh, you know, do some coloring to fill in the time. It sounds a bit like a startup, but, you know, in the same way that that sounds a bit like schoolwork. But it's just, all this is, is, is like, I, I honestly, like, I'm going full Elon Musk on this. I would believe that, like, I, I got hit by a car on the way in to do this, and like my brain is sort of like spooling out extra content while I'm like dying, and it's like procedurally generating. Oh, here's a startup. It's got fucking Rio Ferdinand. It's like going to do mental health, social media. And it's like no, that's nothing new. This is this is nothing. Venture cap guys need to listen to Trash Future. That's why I've because like I mm. have now heard about. So I don't even read about the startups, right? Riley reads about the startups, and Riley tells me about them. Okay, so from that extremely dumb guy perspective, I have now heard about enough startups to predict when a startup is not something you should invest in, and if it's anything to do with mental health, charity, uh, the combination of watching ads and being rewarded. Do not. I know this, so people in venture capital should be able to know that. Like I hear about this, and I'm like, "There's no way that will ever make money. It will lose its investors a huge amount of money before being embarrassingly wound up as quietly as possible." That is that is obvious to me. That's as obvious to me as like looking at a cube and someone asking me what shape is that. I'm like, "That's a cube." Like it's that obvious. So why would anyone invest? millions of dollars in that it just uh, make it make sense well, the, to me. The, the, sm the, the reason is uh, VC people are smarter than us and that's why they have control of that's those, why like, they're in sushi millions. samba right now and we're recording a podcast in a basement <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah all all of them in a very nice basement <laughs> yeah, better right. than our basement it, used to be that is that's true so, yeah, it doesn't smell of sewage the, anymore. <laughs> the funding was led by channel four ventures yeah, you know, maybe maybe they okay. should have fucking privatized them. On well, so it's the British government is funding this. Yeah, the British government. Okay, is... wait, no, now it makes sense. If there's anyone <laughs> stupid enough, it would be the British government. Yes. So uh, the idea—that's what we're going to do. We're going to address environmental challenges by mm -hmm. looking at ads. This is, I mean. I've Here's an environmental challenge, Rio Ferdinand. I've trapped you in a paper bag. <laughs> How are you going to get out? Have you seen the merchandise of We Are Eight? Because it was genuinely one of the funniest things that I saw when I was researching yeah, this. Hit me. So the fact, like, when when um, it, it's worth noting that a lot of the investors in We Are Eight are based, or like, and a lot of the people involved in We Are Eight are all just like management consultants, right? But you got kind of like uh, former bad sign. Yeah, exactly. That is a bad sign, right? They're former, like, you know, lots of different management consultants, and this is like the most kind of like. I best the best way to describe oh no, it. They've taken down it, their web store. The, the the best the best way to describe it is. I mean, I would just type in uh, like Rio Ferdinand We Are Eight, and it's on like the images. Um, and I just want to get your reaction to it while I sort of explain what's going on. Uh, but if you were on the apprentice, if like there was an apprentice thing where it's like you have to invent your own social media network, We Are Eight would be one of the things that they would come up with, and the merchandise would be part of that. 
so when uh yeah the so he is uh Rio Ferdinand is wearing a hat that says the eight. It used to be and a hoodie it, that says I rep my people. So the hat used to be the hat used to be called on the web store. Um mm. our um our bespoke limited edition. There was like a kind of like they were trying to sort of like present it as this sort of like very um high in demand streetwear uh product. Man, Rio Ferdinand's looking old. Like <laughs> His his mouth used to be like rectangular in a youthful way, and now it's just now it's just rectangular. <laughs> just, just it's just kind of sad. It is prodigiously rectangular, though. I mean, incredible. so 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 we are a inspires people with exclusive content around themes such as the planet, mental health, International Women's Day, and every time a user uh-huh. watches an ad, they are paid. Donations are made to a charity, and the content will help underpin. We are eight as a hate free social app on a mission to inspire. <laughs> Inspire and unite millions to solve the world's biggest problems. Again, by watching ads. So it's like I a would... Clockwork Orange thing where the more ads you watch, the less hateful you're able to be because all of the ads are like about corporate social responsibility, Black Lives Matter. So I, I, I suspect so. Yeah. I mean, again, the thing to remember is this is basically a place for... Uh, uh, think about sort of social media advertising in the broader sense, right? We know hmm. that it... like a lot of it doesn't really work it was kind of just a way to fund things that are more or less public goods but not run them as public goods yeah it's busy think work. Of it, yeah yeah it's it, think of it like a lot of those marketing budgets were a kind of tax paid to a company to provide a service uh, even then you had to pretend that you were getting something in return for it um in this case what we've done is we have taken the form of that right the form of that but we have disconnected it from the only thing that makes it valuable, which is a bunch of people are already there. So the only people who are on We Are 8 are people who are basically just trying to make an extra 10 pounds by putting an advert on and then going somewhere else while it plays. Yeah, management consultants. Yeah, uh, so they say, through We Are 8 sustainable ad buying engine, advertisers, and this is, another, this is what, the, again, the, you want to know the service it actually offers, right? Not a social media platform. Not um, nothing like that. It's that if you spend money, because We Are Eight is a B corporation. If you spend money advertising with We Are Eight, then you can say that you're delivering against some kind of a sustainability goal. Ah, okay. Yeah, so you can take your marketing budget that you were going to waste anyway, and you can put that up against the money that you're spending on sustainability, uh, which is. Considering the urgency of the problems that sustainability is solving more broadly, I would say any diversion of money that is spent on sustainability that is doing anything other than, I don't know, getting cars off the road, building trains, um, building seawalls at this point is a crime against humanity. Mm. Cool. Well, that's good. Yeah, but this one has a bespoke hat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, bespoke hat. Yeah. What if we put that hat on the sun? And then it, it made a really big hat and put it mm. on the sun, and then that would reduce the amount of um, yeah, know, heat radiation mm-hmm. that came into the earth, and then that would solve climate change. <laughs> my, only, my only question again, and I asked this when we, when we covered it in, on the other show, which was like, what does the eight stand for? It's not, it's not clear what the eight is for. Why is it called eight? I don't understand. Because it was like, oh, <laughs> oh that's, we, we, that's we, one of those we, like central mysteries of the thing. We, you know? we are eight, like, if it's supposed to be like an anti hate social platform should it be we aren't eight yeah exactly it's right agnostic religion it doesn't it doesn't make any sense where does the eight come from why why is it there Rio I'm- ferdinand if you're listening <laughs> if, if you're listening to this podcast because you're looking at what to what what, what you want to invest in like please let us know what the yeah. eight's for please let us know what the eight is for <laughs> we're gonna call it eight doesn't mean anything 
people are going to wonder what it means. Before we move on to our sort of main, our main dish for the day, and 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 yes, we will be talking about sort of um, uh, Elon Musk's, uh, let's say, uh, dramatically terrible in Tesla Investor Day uh, in the bonus episode this week. I want to read you the script from a We Are Eight ad that I found okay. on Fiverr. Well, how much are you going to pay me to listen to this? Uh, I will pay you one fifth of the Patreon. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, but can we'll you throw to... in a bespoke hat with that? You will yeah, yeah, have yeah. to do a number of other things. Wait, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is from Fiverr, and they were looking to hire a female VO artist with a British accent to voice a TV commercial poem. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> it's a poem about eight. <laughs> Julie Virtual, no. A simple... You don't have to wait to work here, but it helps. <laughs> I mean, you fit the brief. <laughs> if you're not perturbed by a rectangular gob, I'll tell you, it'll probably make your life a bit easier. So, here's the script, and I'm going to read it now. A simple tap on an app. <laughs> Great, I love it already. Riley, can you, can you, can you do this poetry slam style? Uh, I, oh, yeah, we'll I, all click our fingers. I at think you it would you... it would distract from the uh, from okay. the content important uh-huh. content of the poem. Uh, communicating the values we are right. Mm. A simple tap on an app has a profound possibility to benefit the world with a simple capability. Oh, no, you can't you can't do that. The word the capability and possibility are too close in meaning. There, that's, that's this is so far they've said nothing. We are by using we are eight for just two minutes a day. The impact you can make will blow you away. What, what's the meter of this poem? It keeps shifting between couplets. Boo, we are Money to the planet, money to charity, money to you to bring unity and prosperity. Even I could see that didn't scan. It's also yeah, a slum, right? Really. Pros- prosperity. Unless you're like pronouncing it really Americanly. Prosperity? Yeah, but they asked for a British. They ask yeah. British. Northern Irish prosperity. Prosperity. <laughs> to bring unity and prosperity. We're looking for a Northern Irish VO artist to read out this lovely poem about our new venture. We're it. Would, is anyone interested in reading out this new poem about We're it? I think there is a Northern Ireland angle here. And Riley's this- dying. <laughs> We're social with purpose, so download the app. And feel empowered with the amount you give back. That doesn't rhyme. No, again, that's a slant rhyme. Feel <laughs> uh, empowered with the amount you give back. <laughs> so, before we before we leave off, uh, their their CEO Sue Fennessy is a prolific blogger, and Sue Fennessy is a great name, and loves and loves to blog about how like you know you know changing the world, things of that nature, mm-hmm. and, and has blogged our platform and movement. <laughs> Yes, a movement of people getting a ping to watch an uh, ad. It's a movement of management consultants who are paid to be there. We love yeah. it. Yeah, and, and our platform and movement is about changing the way we interact with each other. Social media has fostered a place where hateful communication can thrive, unlike our place where we can watch ads. I come from a place where hate has never been allowed to thrive. <laughs> you know what's really <laughs> funny about this, though, is that this comes on the same day that Aussie, uh, Aussie media that we've we've talked about, uh, you know, late of this parish has wound down, has like you know ceased operations. So we're operating sort of a one in one out policy for social movements for for marketing consultants, social movements that are really kind of just websites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we want to restore. A vision of a happier, healthier, and more connected planet. Again, by the medium of watching ads. 
Yeah, well, via going on the computer. You can't do anything now unless it's not going on the computer. On this International Day of Peace, we know it can sometimes feel like we're headed for a worse place than we started, but we're asking you to join us at We Are 8 and decide together that we will not give up hope by watching ads. Cool. This is, this is genuinely one of the stupidest things I think we've ever had on this. I, I, know, I know it's a crowded field. I know we say it a lot, but like... Fuck me. Like, the disparity between the stated, like, saving the world, saving the planet. We're going to revolutionize the way people relate to each other. We're going to stop online hate somehow. It's not really clear. Even as much as all of our aims are extremely abstruse and none of them can really be achieved by watching ads, this really is the aim which has nothing to do with watching ads whatsoever. Like, at least with the climate thing, some of the money from the ads that are watched, you know, goes to Hugo's startup, which gives books to trees. But, you know, (laughs) it's doing something. But, you know, what is any of it doing about hate? That's unclear other than just like we're so committed to like good vibes. Like, honestly, the vibes I'm sending out, they're fucking stellar. I feel like if you gave a book to a tree, it would interpret it as a threat. (laughs) See what we did with your brother? (laughs) Don't be fucking deciduizing your leaves onto my car. All right? Or next thing you know, you're going to be fucking Mills and Boone, son. You're going to be the fucking Stormbreaker series with Alex Ryder, all right? I am not fucking about. Listen, if I see one more leaf on my car, the next thing you fucking know, you're going to be a complete anthology of Andy McNabb, and I am not pissing about. <laughs> all right, we're not going to get any better than that. Man we are threatening right. a tree. It's a great <laughs> So, so... <laughs> Do you want to be eat, pray, love, son? Because you are testing my patience. Do you want to find yourself pages 100 to 400 of fucking Middlemarch? Because that is where you are headed, sunshine. So, okay, okay, okay. That that was We Are 8, and more importantly, that was Man Threat Threatens Tree. Um, but now we we're going we're gonna to go into our final, our final segment here, which was an article that was released in the Wall Street Journal Something that used to be a tree. A tree that <laughs> fucked up. Uh, yeah. Do you want to have the words of Henry Kissinger, Eric Schmidt, and Daniel Hootenlocker printed on you, you tree? Daniel Hootenlocker? <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. I am now done with Daniel man-threatening tree. I want to talk about Daniel Hootenlocker. I think it's, it's Hootenlocker. Sorry, everyone. No, no, yeah. I'm sorry. Was, We've renamed yeah. him. We have shoved him into the trash future locker yeah. and renamed him. He was, he was named after the German version of the film The Hurt Locker. Yeah, so uh, this this article is one that I think is quite revealing about how a certain class of elite is thinking about AI. It's also full of, um, so you might say, a lot of lazy thinking, a lot of eliding of different technologies together to make a big scary point where they basically asked a speak and spell to say the word gun and then got scared when it said the word gun. Yeah, oh, no. this, this article is like 15,000 words long and me and Riley have been like sending each other insane with it, bouncing it back and forth for the last week or so. Um, Love that. It's, Love that's that for right. you guys. Yeah, it's, it's been an experience and now we get to share it all with you. So the article is entitled... ChatGPT heralds an intellectual revolution. And this is by Henry Kissinger of uh, one of sort of the 20th, latter part of the 20th century's greatest monsters fame. Uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, the, one of the founders of Google, and Daniel Huttenlocker, or Hootenlocker, as we have now renamed him, 
who is again like a prominent sort of professor of computing at MIT, but who we are less concerned about directly here. The Hudenlocker is very key for the German <laughs> so, clown nose. <laughs> so the intro, the intro or thesis statement of this article can be mm. is, is 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 as follows. A new technology bids to transform the human cognitive process as it has not been shaken up since the invention of printing. As its capacities become broader, they will redefine human knowledge, accelerate changes in the fabric of our reality, and reorganize pol politics and society at a fundamental level. And they spend the next 15,000 fucking words elaborating on this statement, which again is autocomplete. Mm -hmm. it, it is elaborating on a big and complex enough autocomplete. Um, yeah, cool. And, and, and it's, I think the, the, thing that, the thing that I keep coming back to right uh, in this article is the comparison of ai to printing in terms of knowledge generation yeah right because, because one thing that, you can yeah. say about the printing press is that it did work right <laughs> uh, that's that's yeah, one of the key add things fingers to things typically <laughs> yeah it's one of the key things about it the other thing about it is that it did also like save labor like legitimately whereas a lot of uh, sort of uses of this kind of ai and sort of heavy air quotes as we've seen, have just turned out to be like guys. You know that this is sort of the equivalent of like pointing to a room that is like a sort of a locked scriptorium full of monks uh, with no windows and being like, "This is a printing press. This is a machine that produces illuminated manuscripts." You have to like shove some food into it now and then, but like you know, as so long as you don't look into the, like any of the functions of how this works, this is a printing press. Maybe we should go back to monks. Yeah, yeah maybe. Have, you know, monks, they'll do it for free. They're not well, allowed to accept money. I think maybe we should go back to monks is kind of one of the arguments that these guys end <laughs> up making awesome. in, in a very roundabout and different way than you're talking about, in a more sort of social way, let's say. It says, generative artificial intelligence, meaning uh, sort of these algorithms that uh, will essentially take a beginning series of values, whether those are usually text, uh, and then generate what it thinks is the next logical steps of those values, whether that is um, whether that is going to be the next uh, uh, pieces of text in a string of text, an image that will follow from it, et cetera, et cetera. Generative art artificial intelligence presents a philosophical and practical challenge on a scale not experienced since the beginning of the Enlightenment. Uh, the beginning of the Enlightenment when uh, all of Europe killed the rest of all of Europe as our mode of production was shifting from feudalism to bourgeois capitalism. Yeah, pick your teams now, right? Ghibellines or Gelfs, you're going to have to get in on one of these on the ground floor because pretty soon we're all going to be cracking open each other's skulls to feast on the goo inside. That's so, right, yeah. I mean, imagine if Descartes had chat GPT. Well, then. It says, the printing press enabled scholars to replicate each other's findings quickly and share them. An unprecedented consolidation and spread of information generated a scientific method, and the medieval interpretation of the world based on faith was progressively undermined. Similarly, ChatGPT enables you to jack off of Im to images of women that aren't real. <laughs> Can you imagine what that's going to do? So, the argument that's being made by Kissinger and Schmidt and, and, and Hootenlocker is that this process, the process by which knowledge was primarily gained through revelation and that access to that revelation was controlled by a, let's say, tightly walled, sacred, one might say cathedral-like institution, Right, uh, that had a priestly class and was deeply bound up with the political rule uh, by sort of the military aristocracy. 
that that process of that breaking down of that being opened up as sort of new uh, economic actors were empowered as new ways of seeing the world were sort of were sort of coterminous with that right as as the knowledge itself democratized as power spread from like these very small number of you know warrior elites to uh, to burgers right um and that 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 this process <laughs> trying to explain artificial intelligence, the early modern age to an yeah. american imagine a burger this process uh through the process of artificial intelligence through chat gpt through autocomplete is going to be thrown into reverse mm -hmm. yeah we'll, we'll we'll get into this in detail but uh essentially what they're saying is this is going to fuck with sort of like our foundations of knowledge so badly that it must be controlled by us. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it must be controlled by a, a priestly class hmm. of people who have, will have privileged access and, uh, to knowledge. And it must not be interfered with by people who can sin, which in this case is misinformation. What we're looking at is we are looking at all of the social conventions of medieval Catholicism with none of the mystification. Or rather, the mystic experience is purely to what you know to be an algorithm, what you know to be autocomplete, what you know to be predictive text, but that has been now conceived as so gigantic that you must worship it as a god. We've encountered a lot of tech people who are trying to build god recently on this show. Yeah, but the thing Quite is, though, the, the thing is, though, that there is mystery, but the mystery arises from these people becoming extremely stupid, and we'll, we'll sort of see that. They'll, they'll say as much. It's amazing to see people fail to build a working self-driving car and then immediately say about God. <laughs> it seems they're really putting the car before the horse. You know, why don't you keep cracking on at the self-driving car for a bit? That's probably simpler than God, I would say, <laughs> on the whole. Well, you know, you'd say first car no first autocomplete then car then god hmm. yeah those are, that's pretty much the obvious uh, stages of a career to me <laughs> so <laughs> they say generative ai will open revolutionary avenues for human reason and new horizons for consolidated knowledge but there are categorical differences enlightenment knowledge was achieved progressively step by step with each step testable and teachable again that's a deeply a historical way of viewing mm -hmm. enlightenment knowledge uh, it's just it is the way that we look at it now, having really smoothed all the hard edges off of like yeah, it's it's, it's weak history, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. is a lot of the enlightenment was about being concerned that you were being fooled by an evil demon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People forget about that, but it was. Uh, and now we've programmed the evil demon, and it lives in your phone. That's uh, right. AI it's enabled grinder. AI enabled <laughs> systems start at the other end. They can store and distill a huge amount of existing information. Again, the fact that all of this information does have to exist first is not something that they deal with in the article. Of course. And in ChatGPT's case, uh, much of the textual material on the internet and a large number of books, billions of items, holding and distilling that volume of information is beyond human capacity. Raising my hand oh, here, no it isn't. No it isn't. And the reason why we can tell it's not beyond human capacity is because that information was held and collated and distilled by human capacity. <laughs> Yeah, it's it may is it beyond the capacity of any individual human? Sure. So it's a lot of more shit. of a if, if I tell problem. you like go and read every book ever published, like you know that there is a sort of an upper limit to how much you personally can uh, like conceive of or whatever. Fine, sure. 
but sure. like I mean, to you're get gonna have to wait for a it. lot of dinosaur erotica before you <laughs> that, that's, that's true, probably but like, not what you're expecting this is like pointing to a library and because there are more books in it than you can read in a lifetime going this library is like uh, sort of fundamentally unknowable. There's shit in here which we can't even like conceive of. Yeah, it's, it's like, cosmic horror. Like it's like the obelisk from 2001: A Space Odyssey. You go down to the public library and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> there's more Biff and Kipper in here than any man could read in a lifetime. And and the, I think the argument they would make right is well, unlike a public library where that information is static, all of this information is presented dynamically. But uh, there's a very large leap between that and Knowledge is now unknowable, and we must return to faith in revelation, but from the computer, mm -hmm. basically. Mm. Yeah. Uh, by what process does the learning machine stores its knowledge, distills it, and retrieves it remains similarly unknown? Again, no, it doesn't. No, it, no, it does doesn't. Not. No, it doesn't. This is... <sighs> okay, right. Like a large language model, right? These motherfuckers are scaring themselves with a graph. This is a complicated graph. All it's doing is it's it's like understanding like patterns and like replicating patterns in a way that requires no cognition no sort of like fucking thinking about shit or whatever it's just trying to suggest to you what it thinks the next thing in a sequence is going to be in a slightly complicated way and the fact that it's a large model and you may not be able to like individually tease out what made it pick that one thing at any one time doesn't mean that it's like an unknown process. That's a known process that, in it, like you just can't specify. These people are so stupid. Alice, are you suggesting to me that Henry Kissinger, the world's oldest man, doesn't have a good working understanding of computer science? I don't know how much he was involved with this and how much it's just sort of like elder abuse at this point. But let me tell you, if any elders deserve to be abused, Henry Kissinger is one of them. Someone showed him that uh, 4004, if you put it in the calculator and reverse it, it says boob. And he got really scared by it. <laughs> so I think, I think that's, that what's important to think about here, right, is, is to ask, well, what are these guys, the people that, who are writing the article and the people who they represent, what are they setting themselves up for? Which I think is that they're setting themselves up to make the argument that this is not understandable fully, that instead what we need to do is create a priestly class of graph tenders. Yeah, right. I mean, this was sort of like, uh, it's a cringe version of nuclear priesthood, which is at least a sort of interesting speculative fiction idea, right? Um, but it, like, it doesn't hold up because nuclear energy is something that is very complicated and is potentially very dangerous, whereas this is, as of yet, slightly complicated and slightly dangerous. Um, and crucially, it, like more well understood than these people are suggesting it is. <laughs> they say, AI's capacities are not static, but expand exponentially as the technology advances. And this is where, again, there is this... Speculative. Like, slight, well, this is where there's the sleight of hand. The main sleight of hand in the article is that they're talking about the thing we have now, which is things like large language models, generative AI, and so on. And they're comparing that to what you might call AGI, or, uh, artificial general intelligence. That is, a thing that is, for all intents and purposes meaningfully meaningfully conscious whatever that means and there's a lot of getting into that by the way that could be interestingly done at another yeah. time there's this whole thing called the philosophy of mind actually some guys yeah. came up with it in the enlightenment <laughs> <laughs> um but right but the, 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 suffice to say they are eliding these two things okay they're, let's say there's an evil demon <laughs> <laughs> so therefore generative ai systems have capabilities that remain undisclosed even to their inventors 
And with each new AI system, they are building new capacities and understanding their origin and de- without understanding their origin or destination. As a result, our future now holds an entirely novel element of mystery, risk, and surprise. On- and only mystery. If you, uh, yeah, only if you build them. First of all, is the main thing. Uh, but second of all, I I picked out that word mystery too because mm. uh, like that's a very sort of Christian theological concept, right? Like. God contains mysteries. You know, there are fucking uh, Christological mysteries and stuff, um, which you're not meant to understand. And in fact, your lack of understanding of them is like the thing that you have to like deeply ponder, right? If you're mm. sort of like part of this, this sort of like priestly class or whatever. W- great, sure, which we're going to apply to the thing that can't draw hands good on the basis <laughs> that one day it might be able to draw hands good. And yeah, therefore, what if that hand it, is giving you the finger? Yeah, and so therefore it contains the possibility of like, you know, deep cognition of a kind we can't yet understand. Well, it's like, well, why, why would it? Mm. Well, it, it, I think this is this is also like th- building on that theme of mysteries, right? This is this is what we're talking about about the return to a religious revealed text as opposed mm. to one that is sort of centered, you might say, in people. For example, right, is, is is instead pushed out. So the the source of knowledge, the epistemology, is pushed out of 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 humanity, right, and into the God box. And what we're doing really is we're ta- putting the Protestant God of the scientific method back into the Catholic revelation chamber. And so we have to have a join mystical, me, Mister Chapo. <laughs> so we have to have a mystical relationship with knowledge, just as you would have had a mystical relationship with knowledge in, say, the eleventh century. Right. What is knowable is the things that are told to you by, say, your uh, the, the cardinal, the priest, whoever, whatever, at whatever level of society you are, however you interact with the source of knowledge, that is what is knowable to you. Yeah. And we're we're doing Midden's Advent again. Yes. Yon, yon Lord hath revealed his new enterprise, and <laughs> we shall commentate. Like th- these people sort of like um, you know I heard the deep fake of Joe Biden talking about you know uh, Bhutanese dragon weed and decided okay it's time to roll back the Enlightenment now. Mm-hmm. And, and and the core content the other core contention of the article right in addition to AI is unknowable and we must have a priestly relationship with it because we must interact with it as unknow- as unknowable eldritch mysteries. The other contention is that AI has already, or will very soon, slip out of human control as it develops and nurtures capabilities that are beyond autocomplete. But yeah, that this is anything- just start making people with as many fingers as it wants. <laughs> well, this is interesting to me because, like, these uh, it, it speaks to a sort of a philosophy of technology, right? Which is that uh, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better in an uncontrolled and uncontrollable way because that's the way we've been doing technology for our entire lifetimes, right? And so, you know, we assume that like any possible system will behave as stupidly and as irresponsibly as we have, uh, and therefore it's just a, it's just a, an inexorable fact that like the technology just does this. If we don't do it, someone else is gonna do it. China's gonna do it or whatever, and also. That there's no people involved, right? The best people can do is sort of like hang on to the side. It's this weird sort of like negation of responsibility and negation of labor and all of these other things that we're so familiar with from like all of the capitalism we're used to. It's just now these guys have like got religion about it. The religion stuff to me is like really interesting only because it sort of feels like I've sort of seen this a lot, even like beyond like with AI guys and just like tech guys who 
um, are sort of like trying to use Catholic or like kind of other sort of religious aesthetics. To, mm. You know, and it feels like if you kind of look at it from the outside, it feels like they're sort of having a meltdown. But I think like what's happening here is really just like a way of kind of, I think this article kind of is a really good example of that. Trying to kind of, at the one hand, trying to sort of like reaffirm why these people who are kind of already elites in society should sort of remain in their positions. Um, but also to kind of do so in a way that tries to make sense of, and, I, and, I, and I especially like with, with like Eric Schmidt as well, like trying to kind of uh, work out how to uh, assert the importance or assert the, like the, assert like why this technology is necessary, despite how like it, a massively like anti-human it actually is, and like all the examples that we've seen of AI are incredible, like are ones that on a very basic level, like the advantages and the sort of like pros of it promoted by these tech guys are like, oh, you'll need fewer humans to sort of do this stuff, and you can kind of like automate all these things, and you can kind of make people or you can make stuff more productive and they don't they don't really sort of kind of elaborate on that and i guess like the problem that emerges out of that is like well okay if this thing is designed primarily just to sort of like eradicate the use of people especially when it comes to sort of like building tech products like how do you kind of justify its existence right mm -hmm. how do you justify like the sort of havoc and the chaos that this is about like that if applied in the way that these guys would like it to be applied to like how is that going to uh how are you going to justify that? And I wonder whether like the kind of uh, pseudo like fascination of religion and the idea that, oh, you can't question AI as a system because like it has this sort of like godlike character. And so the only way in which to sort of treat it is not with kind of like suspicion or with criticism, but to kind of entrust it to a smaller set of elites to manage it. What, what, it's almost like a reification of like AI as a kind of like a whole without sort of them maybe realizing. It's I don't know. AI as a way of knowing. But I mean, hmm. the, the thing is, like, when you when you look at, at at a concept like God, the concept of God is useful when it was like last used. Yeah, not as useful as, as a self-driving yeah. car, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is it is useful for a society to keep itself together to allay people's concerns about what will what will happen that they can't quite answer yet. It's also useful for promoting social social bonds, uh, both horizontally and vertically. You know, the we have our society of the orders. It was ordained by God. Our, our our oaths to one another, our, our relationships of tribute, those are ordained by God. Uh, we're also ordained by God that we're Christendom and 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 not, um, you know, the the fiendish Turk. You know, these these various things are. <laughs> yeah, he's busy giving you a fade. <laughs> the, the, the fiendish Turk is too busy giving you a fade to ever develop generative AI. <laughs> but these these are useful ideas, and if you want to talk about right. What happens when we make more people surplus to requirements? Well, we know what happens when you make more people surplus to requirements, which is what's been happening in the UK for the last 40 years when huge, when huge swaths of the country were just consigned to manage decline, which is a polite way of saying, suggesting that people just die, right? And a very useful, and, and there, but there was, there was a contradiction there because you did not have, right? What you, because you were, you were trying to do that while contending with a sort of with something that descended from a basically liberal philosophy that asserted sort of Protestantly the sort of fundamental um, fundamental in some ways equal moral worth of people. And so people objected to being told to, well, just die. And if you have a God, though, that you can talk to, that you control access to as a priestly class, that is much more germane to a much tighter 
hierarchical closed society like that sort of of, say, for example, the high medieval period, uh, than it would be to one where that, that the scientific method was sort of came out as, again, when I say egalitarian, I don't mean like actually egalitarian, but it did represent an opening of power from its like closed feudal halls. This what this is, is this is bringing back God so we can go back into the closed feudal halls, but without any of the myst- any of the actual mysticism. What's curious about this, though, to me is that all of these people have been sort of like uh, very successful, very, very powerful people ideologically in their society. All of them are sort of like good neoliberals in their own way. Uh, it doesn't get more successful than like Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt politically. Um, and this is uh, over the course of decades. And previously, their sort of way of shifting that responsibility and the way of justifying those authoritarian things was the market, right? The line, our beloved line. Um, and now we found a sort of a replacement for the line, which is like even more explicitly unknowable. And it just strikes me that we've ended up with this this ideology in neoliberalism that's just sort of like walking around looking for something to surrender to, um, to to do all of the things that you you wanted to do that like coincidentally happened to like allow you to have your very nice house and everything else and immiserate everyone else. But y- you have to like sort of be seen to be handing over control to something else. Uh, something that's like fundamentally out of your out of your hands, out of your control, and this is like the ultimate expression of it. Is is these guys going like, yeah, no, it's 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 not me putting you out of a job. It's the etch a sketch, right? And to be honest, y- you shouldn't you should not like feel hostile towards me about that because I'm really more scared of the etch a sketch than you are because I understand it on more levels. It's well, the objective and rational God that also means tests everyone and everything. <laughs> so this is also a Democrat think, God. <laughs> this this also I, I hate not being able us. to get into heaven because I haven't like opened a small business in an underfunded area for at least two years. So this is this actually takes us quite tidily into our next section, which goes from recreating God to the flock, the naive user, the lamb. It says. On the receiving end, generative artificial intelligence appears superhuman, or at least greatly enhanced cognitively. To the naive user, this means you, or me, or anyone who isn't in the priestly class. Or a guy who's innocently trying to jack off to an image of a woman with eight hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like a supremely fast and highly articulate librarian scholar coupled with a professorial savant. Again, no it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's no, wrong it about does. shit all the time. It's just confident. It's it's like confidently wrong. That's one of the things it's built to be. It's one of the things we understand about it. And it's like you only come away thinking, oh, this thing's so smart, if you are extremely easily fooled. And I think this is one of one of the central things about this is again, these are vastly important people. Everything has gone their way. Like they've gotten everything they want out of politics. And it has made them so much dumber so much more insular to the point that they are able to talk to a chatbot. And they interview fucking GPT in this article um, and ask it whether it thinks it has a soul. And it goes, well, I, I can't really talk about that. And they go, holy shit, it's, it's like experiencing existential doubt. Being, being <laughs> this rich, being this successful is legitimately bad for you. It's bad for well, your but- brain. It's, it goes back to the thing where we were getting the AI to generate Keir Starmer speeches, and it was doing brilliantly, and then we tried to get it to generate a Trump speech, and it couldn't do it, and then we realized that the AI isn't good at sounding like Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer just sounds like an AI. So the reason why they're so terrified is because 
when you talk to the chat GPT, it sounds like every politician and person that they respect, i.e. it deflects every question and talks in complete meaningless nonsense, <laughs> but which they have been raised to believe is like the high, like the absolute uh, zenith and summit of being like a smart guy. It's yeah. not having any kind of substantive opinion, but just saying things like, well, I think this is a multifaceted issue. And then they're like, God damn, this thing's smart. <laughs> so it says, we, we've hacked liberals. If we can get into these large language models and we can like tell them, okay, you've got to give confident but kind of non-committal answers in the direction of like socialism. You know, <laughs> these people—they're well, I mean, going to throw up their hands and go, "Well, fuck it. I guess we got to. I guess we got to do some like socialism then, because you know." It ChatGPT told me in the future all vapes would be olive flavored. <laughs> I lost my mind. Look, look, that's what God said to us. It, it goes on though. All these qualities encourage unquestioning acceptance of whatever GPT generates in a kind of magical atmosphere through operation. You're no, the one who are accepting don't. it. You're the people who are just accepting it unquestioningly. You're the people who said, well, to other less developed minds, it would come across as an articulate librarian scholar, but it's coming across that way to fucking you. You wrote that. God damn. Uh, but at the same Some time, old men get terrified of the computer. What an excellent article. <laughs> yet at the same time, it possesses a capability to misinform its human users with incorrect statements and outright fabrications, which is where we come back to the Catholic concept of sin. Hmm. If you interact with God poorly, if you disobey its rules, then you, your soul will be polluted and you will have experienced misinformation. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine if Donald Trump got a hold of ChatGPT. You know, that would be really scary. <laughs> I think it'd be fun to watch and play with it. What if some Macedonian teenagers like <laughs> hacked ChatGPT and then it like stopped Hillary Clinton becoming president like a third time? <laughs> you know. But I think the the I think the idea is like the these people understand misinformation as the greatest possible danger uh, to yeah. uh, you know the, the social cohesion. In so doing, they've managed to like perfectly replicate Catholic scholastic theology of the Middle Ages, um, where the idea is, not only is it like fine that you can't read the Bible, uh, it, it's like, that's actually good, because there is a spiritual hazard involved. If you, the naive user, start thinking about this stuff on your own without some sort of like intercession, you can, you can sort of badly misguide yourself, um, and therefore, you know, it's it's necessary to have this like highly educated sort of like to have this set of doctors of the church to like interpret this for you. Well, so it's like I, I my the other example I was thinking was also just like creating like an, a protected class of ulama, right? Like in Iran, yes, yeah, where like where like the actual sort of ulama are kind of treated as like kind of modern, well, contemporary. Like I don't, the royalty is not like the right term, but like a very elite protected class. But like every sort of like Shia Muslim in the world has to pay. I have to pay like a portion of like my income <laughs> to this to this group of people <laughs> because yeah, they're like the elite. And like, and that's part look, of. And if you don't, someone's got to kill Salman Rushdie. Do you think that shit's free? <laughs> look how badly they've done it so far. It needs more money. You would think. You would think that based on the amount of money I've given them over the years, that like they would have invested at least. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you they, should you they, should they, demand please, to be on an yeah. investor call for the attempt on Salman Rushdie's life. But like, yeah, they're, they're creating like they want to create like an elite ulama class that has like political privileges and has like you know lots of access, but doesn't ever get questioned because questioning them is akin to questioning God. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like, the greatest fear is that like you read incorrect or falsified hadiths, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think what they're trying to invent is an ulama of tech guys <laughs> uh, that you're not allowed to question and should have as much political influence as possible. Henry Kissinger is wearing the big and, turban as we yeah, speak. and they get to, and they get to wear the robes. Honestly, so when I was like when I was thinking about like training to be like in sort of Islamic seminary, one of the things I was thinking about is like I would, I would just love to wear robes. You could just do that after mm, having a shower. I can't can actually just wear robes. I do. <laughs> I do like wearing my bathrobe, but I feel like I should be allowed to wear robes like all of us. Anyway, wanna wear, you want to wear your bathrobe in a more official capacity? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'd say, but I, I just think it's just very funny to think of the idea, like, oh, it's very annoying that my local graph tender has taken a secret wife, and I'm not allowed to do anything about it, and has been selling positive interpretations of AI prompts around the town. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, and these people are, like, so stupid and so corrupt that if they try and do this, and they try and set themselves up as AI clergy, they are gonna start the AI reformation. <laughs> it's gonna be, like, two years they're gonna start it. Because also, <laughs> that's... It's, it's, but also, the funny thing is, right, this is... This is, in many ways, the product of the scientific method of the idea that through the application of individual rationality, we can create tools that will allow us to understand the universe better than we can understand it ourselves. And the idea that we create a tool that understands and interprets the universe so well that we cannot itself, we cannot ourselves understand it fully means that what's happened is that Protestantism has created the Catholic God, which has now supplanted it. Awesome. Cool. Which, but that, you know what that means, right? It went Catholicism, Islam, Protestantism. It means we have now Catholicism 2. What's next logically? <laughs> it's time Islam for Islam 2. I've been, an, I've been soft launching this one for a while. Uh, very, very, very proud to be That's part of the launch That's what they're building in the big cube. In That's Riyadh. right. They're building. <laughs> We have there's a new cube in Saudi Arabia. It's gonna you be know. it's gonna be the Kaaba too. It's gonna be even bigger. They're like re yeah, they're they're investing a lot into AI and like very into like they're still like probably the only place that's like genuinely enthusiastic about crypto and blockchains. This is how you get the fucking Dajjal, dude. I'd like first of all, this is so obviously idol worship. Second of all, it's so obviously false prophecy. Third of all, we had Seamus on relatively recently, and he ended up talking about fucking Kiyama. So, like, it, it's going to keep coming back to this. This is now a sort of Islamic eschatology podcast. We're talking about the end of days because it's soon. <laughs> MBS dropping hints about Islam too, the way like Elon Musk does about New Testament and stuff, just being like, yeah, yeah, we're toying with seven pillars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're considering seven pillars. Just putting that out there. It's, it's going to be big. Some very, very big things happening in Saudi Arabia. They're doing a new Islam. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be the biggest in the world. Actually, it's going to be one of the greatest things, better than ever. Yeah. So we. That's. I see. I see that as the only possible outcome, which is we're going to get cyber Islam. Hadith. I don't like Hadith. I like stuff God actually said. So like okay. Welbeck was right, but he just didn't include enough like robots. Yeah. <laughs> The going to go on with the article. The ultimate impression of a human conversant is that the AI is relating stationary collections of facts into dynamic concepts. Again, Are they? no, no. <laughs> no, that's to you. You think that. Uh, even though the model is incapable of, because again, they're, they're saying that other people <laughs> will think that, but then they're saying, well, obviously this is how it's going to be soon, so we might as well act as though it is. Do you think Kissinger like asked the chat GPT when his birthday was, and the chat GPT like, obviously found out, and he was like, holy shit! <laughs> oh my god, what are you getting me? <laughs> <laughs> what how did, how what did are it, you going to get how me? How did it know? <laughs> Wait, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> I'm coming right now. It must be God. <laughs> 
I'm Henry Kissinger. To me, starting a war is as satisfying as coming. <laughs> so it says, even though the model is incapable of understanding in the human sense, but that implies that it's capable of understanding. Yeah, that's a beautiful sort of illusion, right? Like slipping from one thing to the other, because that there's no understanding happening. There's no cognition there. As to where you know cognition arises as a whole different thing, but I'll tell you where it's not is in the fucking chatbot, right? It's not there. It is like you are deluding yourself if you think that this thing is understanding anything instead of plotting out points on a graph that correspond to which words it's like detected in a shitload of Google books and 4chan posts. I was reading about this thing called the Chinese room and now I understand that the chat GPT has some very smart Chinese guys inside there and they understand everything. They are masterminding <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> so I think this is also where we say, right, the, throughout the article, they acknowledge that this is communication without re rationality, without reasonableness, right? This is a new kind of intelligence, but they keep on they keep on sort of trying to deflect that blow while at the same time saying that it is doing a kind of understanding, which means that those two things are in contradiction. You can't have both. You can't say it's rational without being reasonable and also it's understanding. It, it is completely impossible and intellectually lazy. It says, its outputs reflect an underlying essence of human language. No political or philosophical leadership in, in, in has formed- In the same way that if you take a, a complete hamburger and you put it in a blender, right, that reflects an underlying essence of the, like, total hamburger, right? Like- I, Imagine a burger. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm, I'm legitimately trying to get through to the listener now. This is not- an underlying essence of human language. This is human language graphed and like modeled and then predicted, like fucking exponented out, right? It's not, there's no, there's, there's nothing underlying there for fuck's sake. It's like, just like drawing a guy and going, holy shit, that looks like a guy. Maybe he's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so literally. No political or philosophical leadership has formed to explain and guide this novel relationship between man and machine, leaving society relatively unmoored. To which I again ask the question, hey, how come all of those societies are so relatively unmoored? Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt? Oh, that was because, how come? The, that was because of the previous god. That was because of the lion. Yeah. Now we've got this Hoodenlocker, new thing. you're all right. We've got no beef with Hoodenlocker. <laughs> but Kissinger and the other guy, you're on notice. <laughs> You know, it's like, well, yeah, okay, they're saying that this new revelatory epistemology will lead to social dislocation, but, like, how come, how, co how come the previous one fucked the human-centered one that we kept on trying to do fucked up so badly? It could have nothing to do, of course, with the people writing this article. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about it, and we should put them in charge of being sort of prophet-seer and revelator of uh, whatever the next thing is. The truth of generative AI will need to be justified by entirely different methods to enlightenment science, which was trusted because each step of replicable experimental processes was also tested and therefore trustable. As we attempt to catch our understanding that's, up that's to our knowledge- That's a beautiful little attempt to sort of murder the scientific method with a couple of quick stabs there, is to be like, no, no, don't, don't try and apply this to this, it's too hard, so we shouldn't try. Yeah. No, no, you're never, you're never going to be, because one person can't understand, again, one, per, there are whole fields of science one person doesn't understand, but they're understood by humans working together. Well, you think Socrates could have understood going on the computer? No, ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, well, also, also, not to be too, uh, like, reductive about this, right, but these large language models, they were built and trained by humans, 
Um, they were designed by humans. These are these are things with which you know, like human labor and the human intellect is like deeply connected. Um, and you like I know th these people's like special move is abstracting the labor from things they've been doing it their whole lives, right? But it doesn't work that easily. This isn't just magic. This thing just because the model now runs by itself doesn't mean that like the data involved in training it and the design involved in like creating the architecture of it like doesn't matter anymore. Right, and this is a whole area of philosophical thought that they completely refuse to engage with, right? Because mm. this is like quite a famous uh, like argument in the philosophy of mind, which is that like you can't build something that's as smart as you are, because that's just like you can't build up to the limits of your own intelligence, because you have to be a bit smarter than a thing to make it. This is like a popular like philosophical theory, and it kind of and it's borne out by AI because AI all sucks. It's really bad. It's nowhere near as smart as we are. It's like because we made it. Like and then and so the idea that then AI could make a smarter AI is even more incoherent because it's like, well, AI is dumber than we are, so the AI that it would make would be even dumber than it is. Wait, isn't this just the plot of multiplicity? I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh so the other the other thing here is like it would make bimbo AI. Like Windows ninety five did not build Windows ninety eight. Like it did not that did not happen. <laughs> And and again, this is another place where they allied what actually exists with what they think will exist at some point in the future. And again, there's this there's this premise that what exists now necessarily implies what will exist in the future. That mm. large language models necessarily imply the future existence of artificial general intelligence, which again I think is probably far from certain. <laughs> It's, it's, or at least it's far enough from certain that I'm not ready to have a priestly class uh, monopolize knowledge creation again. I don't know. Call me old fashioned. <laughs> well, you, well, not old fashioned enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It says, what about the machine has not yet been revealed to us? Oh. And what obscure knowledge is it hiding? Oh, it's my a fucking God. Google Doc. <laughs> It's a it's a fancy Google Doc. You put stuff in it, and then it keeps hitting the predict the next word button. And so it's the fucking viral tweets where someone goes, "Ah, oh, to start with, I think women are," and then put in the rest of your predicted. It's that, but on a large yes. scale for search engine optimization. Can yeah. we can we please take the torch out from under our chins? It's 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 too late. You know, we've we've found this weird thing, and now we're pretty determined that it's a good idea to worship it like a god. Um, yeah, but I think this is also just like the fact that it's, and again, like it, there are lots of parallels to the whole sort of like the kind of crypto blockchain thing that you know, see people, these guys seemingly just have kind of forgotten about or like pretended to have forgotten about, but it's very much a thing of just like, oh, we kind of this thing has been invented and like that was, that was called 1.5. It, it it exists and like you know it has lots of pictures of haircuts when I ask for haircuts and many of them are not fades and therefore it must be a lot smarter than like everything else and we have to like uh yeah we have to sort of valorize it and we have to uh give as much kind of money and resources to people who are like making it and not question and I think ultimately that's kind of what it comes down to it's just like this I I get the impression that the feeling is uh in trying whether they're sort of like advocating the creation of like a clergy or an ulama or whether they're not I, the, the impression that i sort of got was you should not kind of question the mm. utility and the, the the place of the ai you should just kind of let it happen because ultimately it's going to like happen anyway and it's going to establish itself on its own and therefore 
you know, and, and that sort of seems to be when I was reading this, I was kind of like, if I, I felt like I was going insane in certain areas because it just felt very much where, it, yeah, it felt very much like what they were trying to say was like this is going to happen whether you like it or not, and you have and you can't stop it. So and we you, don't even like it, and we and we actually don't like it either. So we have to reluctantly say that our mates have to be the clergy. <laughs> I guess it's uh, God and and Katela, and also you can't question it because would you question God? Um, no, you wouldn't. You'd feel very guilty, uh, like a bad boy. Um, and uh, you know, you'd be very sorry about that. I, I, you know, ultimately, I think it's just kind of like it's just it's just like sort of standard tech bullshit in a lot of ways. And you know, and and I see this in like other kind of corners of the sort of like chat GPT enthusiasts. And again, like it mirrors a lot of the blockchain stuff because a lot of the blockchain advocates were like, well, this is going to happen anyway. And if you don't like invest in it, then like you know, have fun staying poor and all that stuff. And you know, it's not to say that like it will kind of like the AI will sort of see the same fate as like crypto and blockchain for reasons that we've kind of covered on the show but it also yeah to to me it sort of feels like this is kind of p the best way to sort of pronounce it is as pr but ultimately what it's trying to say is that like you know we, we, we want this to happen we will we would very much like our friends to sort of be in control of it and uh if you say anything else then like you are sort of more you are you're you're you are committing like sins uh, on, a, on a moral, like on a moral. The the, 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 P, the pianist of this is sort of like curious to me as well because I I did wonder as they're writing it how much is like uh sort of cynical uh power seeking and how much is like legitimate like I am scared by the etch a sketch and I think they genuinely are scared by the etch a sketch I think they are afraid of this thing um and I, like. Again, it, it's an ideology like seeking stuff to surrender to. But imagine if this if this was applied to anything else. Imagine if fucking aliens landed on the south lawn of the White House, right, during say the Nixon administration, and they had sent Henry Kissinger out to like talk to them. This is exactly what he would have said: "Is like, uh, please don't hurt us. First of all, second of all, you should leave us in charge of everything." <laughs> well, I, I'd actually like to move to the political um, political implications they talk about. Mm. They say, and this is basically, we can sum up all of their political discussion with one, a couple of sentences, and this is, this is what they write. The question remains, can our leaders learn quickly enough to challenge rather than simply obey? Or will, are we in the end obliged to submit? Are what we consider mistakes part of the deliberate design? What if an oh element god. of malice emerges in the AI? Oh my god, these people have no epistemology. They have none. Like, okay, I'm not going to say that like nothing interesting comes out of AI. Some like it recombines existing stuff. Sometimes in the course of doing that, it presents like a new or interesting thing, right? But it depends on the user, like the person, the human at the end of it, to determine which of those is useful and which of those is garbage, and to be able to interpret that and say, that person's got too many hands on their fingers, or that molecule you've just tried to synthesize won't work. Like, there's, and, and we're just sort of like, again, just writing that labor completely out of the equation here. And they go on, they say, the potential for group obedience to an authority whose reasoning is largely inaccessible to its subjects has been seen from time to time in the history of man. Perhaps the most dramatically and recently in the 20th century subjugation of whole masses of humanity under the slogan of ideologies on both sides of the political spectrum. And then they write my favorite sentence in the article. Perhaps a third way of knowing the world may yet emerge, one that is neither human reason nor faith. What becomes a democracy in such a world? To which I say, 
You have invented a third way. Chat TIG. If Tony Blair were not uh, were not made, it would be necessary to invent him. Like, <laughs> and you know, again, this comes back to if the entire foundations of your society have been shaken by the autocomplete, the thing that actually exists, as opposed to the thing that you're positing might exist in the future, implied by the autocomplete, then like the people who are going to believe that. Right, the people, whether you're you're common people committing the sins of misinformation, or you're some an elite who's decided to have an Avignon AI papacy because maybe you have some disagreement on you know some some interpretation of who should be where or whatever. Right, that is the capstone on a lot of other social decay and a lot of other unrepresented conflict. That's a lot of contradictions building up, and then you're just looking at the AI and assigning it because it happened most recently, because it was proximate, because it's the thing that everyone's talking about, that it was the real cause of the social breakdown that you're imagining. If the video of Joe Biden talking about the Bhutan uh, ditchweed uh, leads to social breakdown, then perhaps your social fabric was not so strong for reasons that are not related to the graph. Yeah, and reasons uh, related to like the people who wrote this fucking thing. Like, don't talk to me about breakdowns in society when you've been breaking it down on purpose for, like, 250 years or however fucking long you've been alive, you old, dead bitch Henry Kissinger. Well, also, also on the Henry Kissinger point, he is someone who could reasonably be considered to be kind of a master of the universe in terms of the fate of the world in the 20th century. Sure. And he's now kind of feeling what it would be like to live in the world he created where... All of your ability to decide what you're going to do, how you're going to live, especially if you're like, I don't know, a Central American farmer or whatever, is taken away from you by systems that are deliberately made difficult for you to access or understand and where judgments of what to do are sort of, um, let's say, handed down uh, from faraway authorities. Uh, yeah, for doesn't, things that, it doesn't feel yeah. so good when the boot's on the other foot, does it, Henry? <laughs> what is it? You, you said this to me. It was uh, Henry Kissinger is trapped in a room with a copy of Capitalist Realism for five minutes and then just decides that we need a new god. Yeah, we, we have imprisoned Henry Kissinger inside an invisible like web that constrains his action, and it's like Google also complete. <laughs> you know, and again, like this the thing is like it's this is what I go back to as well. It's like in the in the sense that neoliberalism is the process of surrendering to automatic scripts, right? And those scripts are not th those scripts. We deny that they exist. You know, we have a lot of people saying, "Oh, neoliberalism, it's not a real thing." Uh, also, these scripts are things you cannot question. There's no alternative to them. We've been governed by AIs for forty years. It's just they're AIs in human bodies. <laughs> um, you know, and, and and it speaks to I think, a real solid to real. Uh, Arsenal yeah. gear real, Hideo Kojima <laughs> is a genius. Yeah. And, and I think, like, this pro this process, right, this process of turning everything into an AI has already happened within the realm of elites, you know, and this is one of the reasons why they're so scared as a ruling class, because this talks to their ultimate desire to continue surrendering stuff on our behalf to forces that they say are beyond their control. There is, there, there is one thing that I want to say about this that is really funny, which is, you put it in perspective, right? What these people have done with their power over the time that they've had, and the time that we as a species have left. Um, and given what we've done to, for instance, the climate, or any number of other things, right? Worrying about Skynet uh, 
th- this is sort of like these people have driven the car that we're all in off the cliff, and about halfway down, they're like, "Oh shit! What if the turn signal starts controlling my mind?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, maybe I guess, but there's kind of like some other problems you already caused <laughs> that are about to come due any second now. We could describe it as moot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's the process of what happens when, just like in Britain, our elite got too insular and weird, and you know, now there you can't get tomatoes. They're like, well, the, the solution for this is for us to get more insular and weird by all becoming monks, so like AI monks. Like, oh yeah, looking at the world and going like, I think I need to get a tonsure. I think I need to call up the fucking boys, and we're all gonna go and get a tonsure, and we're gonna tell that mis- mischievous Turk, no fades. We want tonsures. Google what a tonsure is and give me that. With all that being said, your ass on pious Twitter. That's right. With with all that being said, I think it's probably time to uh, cut it out for the week and uh, hang up our podcasting taunts. Cut it out. Uh, Yep, that's right. We're we're all taking off the the cassocks that we wear to podcast. Swan may be legitimately angry. I have. I I I don't religiously object to much, but I religiously object to the big computer autocorrect telling you what to do. Um, Mm. That's right. And to remind everyone of what we said at the beginning about the shirts. Yeah, there are shirts. Uh, you can buy them. Mm-hmm. If you're in Perth, now if you're in Perth. If you're in Perth, Australia, on the 25th of March, please come to the show that I'm doing for your benefit, not for mine. Um, because people said, hey, come to Perth. And I said, I will come to Perth. And I spent 1200 Australian dollars on, <laughs> on diverting via Perth. And, oh boy, do we need to sell those tickets. Mm. So uh, Also, 9th of March, earlier than that. Berlin, stand up, come along. Tickets now selling somewhat better than they were previously. Some of you have listened. Some of you have listened, but not enough of you. A lot of you were very excited that Lydia Tarr was the guest. You were like... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, let's do it. She will be be conducting (laughs) (laughs) And And one, and two, and Fritzl. Yeah, that will be... (laughs) Oh, God, please never be a conductor. And Mm. uh, also, uh, our theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. There also is a Patreon. There's also a Twitch stream. Every every week, there's a Twitch stream that we do now. If you're listening to this on the Patreon, and maybe it's released on Monday, uh, tonight... Uh, Milo, myself, Devin, and Alice will be watching the Russian Harry Potter movie, Children vs. Wizards. It's like an anti-Harry Potter movie, I believe, from like a right-wing Orthodox Church standpoint. I'm so excited for this. Twitch.tv slash Trash Future Podcast. It's Mondays and Thursdays from 9pm British time. We're finally remembering after <laughs> multiple... wizards, they're gay. <laughs> we are finally remembering to advertise the spinoff on the thing it's a spinoff from. Someone bought us a URL too. If you go to slop.delivery, which is the best website oh, wow. anyone's ever had, that will also take you to the Twitch stream. Why are all wizards wear dress? <laughs> uh, why? Uh, the film will hopefully explain. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> all right, all right. That's enough. Um, that's enough. Uh, you know, um, uh, rattle, rock and rolling for the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, and we'll see you in a couple of days on the bonus episode. It's actually called the Atreon. <laughs> yeah, the We Are Atreon. <laughs> yeah, we are Atreon. <laughs> and soon in Berlin. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.